Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Northeast Scene Podcast. This is Keith. And Tommy. How's everybody doing? And today we're taking a field trip out of the Northeast to begin our conquest of uh, the whole world. And we're talking to the guitarist and the member of Rising Austin, Texas Stars, Glassing, Corey Brim. Howdy. Howdy. Corey, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. It's a really nice day in Austin, um, and I think eventually today I would like to get in the sun. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's been some really nice days lately. Like, uh, well, first of all, it's weird because I think most of us have not been outside very much for the past three months. Exactly. And I'm going nuts, and just like I was walking around last week, uh, last Sunday, I went to the park with my girlfriend and her and her friend and her friend's dogs, and you know we all had our masks on and stuff, and I was like, "Fuck, being outside is exhausting." Like, I'm I'm not used to all this walking around and being around people. It's it's hard. It really is, and uh, and wearing a mask outside is not super fun, but it's it's kind of important. Uh, you know, the thing that I used to do um, before all this was go play basketball like pretty much every day at like noon at my work and uh, a bunch of guys would go there and that's been my exercise and now that I don't have that uh, I don't think that I've um, got my heart rate up above whatever it is sitting at right now for a couple months and I don't think that's very good <laughs> yeah I'm looking forward to things slowly going back to normal and you know I plus like most of the time I listen to music uh was when I was walking around and taking the subway and all that stuff. So my my music consumption has gone way down, which is which is very troubling. I really, I don't think you have that. an excuse, man. I think you need to increase your music consumption. I know, especially if I'm doing this podcast. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I would think so. Have you listened to Glassing before? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, of course. Now, nice. now check this out. Glassing, Spotted Horse, was the northeast scenes number one record of 2019 do you realize that yeah you know what i did i thought that was so cool um and that's part of the reason i was down to come on because i was like wow these guys these guys are down let's do it yeah but yeah that's yeah. awesome thanks so much we really appreciate that uh, we were all really excited and then we checked you guys out and and kind of saw what you were all about and um we're like well these guys are kind of right in the same vein and then i looked, checked out some of your guests and i was like wow i'm like freaking small potatoes for these guys this is going to be kind of fun but um yeah we're all about what you guys are doing so thanks for including us and, and enjoying our music oh no oh, yeah. not to us man you guys are so keith and keith and i do this thing when we get into a band we go crazy like it's all we listen to uh we go nuts with it and that the glassing record we went nuts for for like awesome. mo- months at a time we would just be like dude have you listened to that last part and but and we would just start to like literally sending each other like tracks like wait listen to three minutes and 15 seconds into this like <laughs> we just get uh, so I, hype about it oh that's awesome i we have a this fan of ours named uh, jace dominguez he's in arizona he, he's the best he always sends us um time stamps of our songs <laughs> like like we didn't make them but uh there's there's like a real loud squeal i think and follow through and he just loves that so he sends us the 
that timestamp a lot. And it's pretty funny. I like that. Yeah, glassing provide. Now, this is these are the moments I live for musically. Like I'll listen to a song, and I'll instantly be seized by it and become obsessed with it, yeah. and you know, listen to it over and over and over again. And oh man, I'm blanking on what's track two on on a. Uh, Spotted horse. Um, that's gonna be is it sleeper or low? Sleeper. Sleep, sleeper. Sleeper. Yeah. When I heard sleeper for the first time, I was like, oh my god, oh my god. Like, and I, I, it was one of those moments where I just instantly loved it, and I sent it to like every group text, and I'm like, everyone has to listen to this now. <laughs> I, I love those that. moments. Well, yeah. You know what blew me away, Corey? Was uh, I? I actually so after Keith. Um, sent me a, a couple of the tracks. I was like, all right. So I started just kind of like poking around on YouTube and I found you guys did an audio tree session and I was like, oh, let me check them out. And I was floored when I found out there's three people in the band. Like <laughs> it is such a wall of sound. Like, and it's just, when you hear it, you can actually start to go, oh, okay. I can see how that's, how it works. But, uh, Keith and I were actually t- like chatting right before you came on. Um, what, what's the, the gentleman that plays bass? What's his name? That's Dustin, Dustin Kaufman. So Dustin, we were saying, we're like, he looks like this like really well put together, handsome dude. And then when he opens his mouth on that first track, I was like, holy shit, that's not the noise I expected to come out of that person. Like, <laughs> it's, am- it's amazing. Uh, that's awesome. Man, that audio tree, um, I mean, so two things about th- the sound of it. Um, I've, you know, the audio engineering people over there are insane. They, and in fact, everyone over there is so nice. Um, anytime we go to Chicago, we're going to just show up and just beg them to let us hang out with them. Cause they're number one, the nicest people in the world. <clears throat> they gave us like a shot of whiskey, like 10 30 AM so that we could, so we wouldn't be nervous. Nice. Um, and I don't know if you've, I mean, you've heard it, obviously it just sounds so good. They do such a good job. Um, and they'd really, they, you know, it's not one of those things where they let you into the studio and be like, Hey, um, you know, can you mix this and that? They're like, no, they're, they're going to do what they're going to do, but you can just trust them fully. Um, when we heard the, just the live stream later in the van on like the way to St. Louis or wherever we were going, we were like, wow, man, th- th- this sounds really good just the way it is. And then they do like ever so slight polishing. And then for the, for the final product, uh, we were really just blown away of like how professional they are and how good they sound. But um, and I, so I appreciate your, your compliment there in terms of being a three piece and getting, you know, uh, to make it sound like there's more of us that really just justifies all the damn gear I have. So thank you very much for that. I'll have to make sure I tell my wife that, uh, it's, it's all been paid off now that, uh, now that someone thinks we sound bigger than we are. Yeah. But that, that, com- that compliment is worth $10,000 of gear. <laughs> Absolutely. You've got like the, you've got the full stack of emperors and then I see some, some other machinery. I think, uh, Dustin is messing around with. Yeah, Dustin has, um, Dustin's got a, a uh, it's funny because every time we play a show, he has to be like, uh, I have a, a vocal effects processor, please, can we please uh, run through that? <laughs> and so every time we have to do sound check, he's got to deal with that damn thing. Uh, but yeah, but that, that's, you know, because we, we like to soak his vocals and it's his, you know, his vocals are kind of uh, another instrument. They're not so much like, uh, you know, we, we don't call him a lead singer or anything like that. You know, you can tell from the kind of music we play that kind of just sits there in the mix. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the, the all the amps and stuff, um, I really do think that those are worth um, having for a band like us because, um, you know, we're, we, we are three people and I'm trying to sound like I'm two guitar players. Um, yeah. And when you're, when you're only one guitar player, I can, I can make it sound like it's more just with 
um, kind of running a stereo rig. So I got the two, um, and they're super high wattage and, and all that. So I, I've, I made it to where, um, it's essentially the rig of two guitar players, um, but kind of going uh, through different signal paths and all that sort of stuff. I get pretty nerdy about it. Hey, uh, that, that's all good. That's the kind of stuff we like to hear about here. And I, I wish I understood gear more. I'm, I'm kind of a novice with it, but I'm, but I'm learning. And hold on, there was something I was going to ask. Oh, there was a review I read of Glassing before where it said, you know, because there's one guitar player, the guitar doesn't like get lost in the mix. And it's not just this, this wall of noise. You can kind of hear what's going on. And, and I, I really liked that, and it's true. Like you can you can hear exactly what's going on with each with with each instrument. Nothing gets lost. And even when I was like obsessed with Sleeper, I was like, oh, let me grab my guitar and try to figure this out. And I like you know learned some of it. And it's just it's just an all round nice uh, even sound. Yeah, I remember that review too. Um, and I, I remember being pretty stoked on that because I mean, first off, the if it's Good in the mix. That's probably just because I wouldn't shut up to Andrew, our our engineer, to tell him to turn me up because I, I always do that to him. Um, but but yet, yeah, um, I remember that review, and I was I was pretty stoked that you can you can hear it. And kind of the way we mix too is, um, you know, I set myself up like I'm like it's two guitar players, but we also kind of record like it's two guitar players. So a little, I don't know if Andrew would be stoked to me telling him telling this, but we um our trick kind of is to just put one of my takes in the left ear and then i do the exact same thing for every single song everything that you hear is me actually playing the album twice and essentially throwing it in the left ear and then throwing the other one in the right uh, it's not always just that simple but that's that's a kind of a good template for a recording a glassing song that's awesome nice yeah you get a lot more so depth I- that way you know yeah, absolutely. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take us back a bit. Did you did you grow up in Austin? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I didn't. I I grew up in Texas and then left for a while and came back. So I grew up in Houston, actually, where I was born till ten, and then mm-hmm. um, my family moved to uh, Salt Lake City, where um, my parents had a job there, uh, and then I was there till high school and. It was I was eighteen when I left, um, but that's kind of where I got into music, you know. Um, and then I moved to New Orleans for college, um, and then moved to Austin in two thousand eight. So that's kind of uh, my little my geographic journey, at least. That's awesome. Gotcha. So where did you discover the scene and like hard? And let's let's talk about this. Was hardcore your first entrance into the scene, or did you come in through another genre? Um, yeah, I mean, I got there pretty quick. Um, you know, I could go back to, I mean, all right, first off, my, my very first CD was, uh, Mariah Carey Daydream. So, you know, off the bat, I'm like, listening to some heavy shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And when I was, you know, I've always liked music my whole life. When I was in fourth grade, I rocked a lot of, uh, soft rock R&B. I was into Richard Marks, Boys (laughs) Two Men. You know, like everything. Well, if you want to go back even further to that point, um, my mom was giving me tapes of LL Cool J when I was probably like four. Oh, nice. (laughs) And now that I think about it, I'm kind of like, man, those are some pretty salacious stuff going into my ears at quite a young age. I remember like definitely trying to go to bed and hearing like, doing it and doing it and doing it well. (laughs) (laughs) That can't be good for a kid that young, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, and also my dad is a musician. Um, he's 
been um, kind of doing like adult contemporary rock playing acoustic guitar and in, in band since he was 12. So I mean, I think that's where I got like the music bug. Um, started playing saxophone when I was 10 um, and did that for for a bunch of years and so did jazz bands and that sort of thing. So I think that's kind of where I got my musical um, interest in, in chops, I suppose, and kind of had to learn the learn all the scales and the circle of fifths and modes and all that kind of stuff and did some of that in college as well. But um, with guitar, I'm not actually um, classically trained. I took a few courses, but uh, saxophone is where I got into like music theory, but um, I don't really apply that very much in guitar. And actually, always I mention this sometimes, uh, which is kind of interesting, that the way the guitar and the saxophone's scales work, your fingers are going down on a saxophone to make the notes go lower. And on a guitar, your fingers are going the other way, right? So if you go, the lower you go on a, on a guitar, the higher the notes get. So I think that always kind of jacked me up in the way that I play, and, and I, I probably picked up some weird habits because of that, switching from an instrument like a saxophone and going into a guitar. Um, but you asked about hardcore music and I'm not talking about that shit at all right now. So I'll <laughs> no, we, we, I, there's two things I usually ask our guests and one is your, how you got into the scene. And I, I'm interested in, uh, the instruments folks play and how they played them too, because, you know, I, I started out on bass and then I moved into guitar and I, I never really took lessons. I, I think I just have a pretty good ear and I, I was able to read very basic tablature. So I just sure. took it and ran with it from there. So, you know, with with the artists that we love, I'm just always curious about how they learn too. Because I mean, you guys are writing our favorite songs, so I'm like, well, how are they doing it? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We can, yeah, we I'll, we can get into that for sure. Let me um, let me answer your first question so I don't get lost though. Yes, because um, I, I enjoy talking about how I kind of got into this type of music, um, and I guess I'll kind of first say too. You know, Dustin and Camacho and I all listen to a lot of different music, um, and even how we got into music is different. Uh, Camacho and I have a little bit more in, in common. He's our drummer, um, and Dustin just kind of wasn't into to music very much. I think when he was a little bit younger, um, but he also um, got we we tell him what to listen to now. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got he's got good taste for sure. Um, <clears throat> Camacho kind of uh, got more into like I think early like you know Promise Ring and um, some of the early like emo stuff that I think him and I both got into. And then he kind of went there, uh, took that into, he got into the Chicago noise scene after that. So he, he comes from a different, um, a kind of a different path, but, uh, mm -hmm. we can always agree on, on jamming some emo in the van, um, and <laughs> drives Dustin completely insane. But <laughs> so I kind of started with that kind of stuff too. Um, so after the LL Cool J and Mariah Carey phase, uh, I think Oasis was probably one of the first, you know, kind of rock bands that, that I was pretty into um and then you know like in middle school skateboarding <clears throat> that's always kind of where a lot of punk and metal and hardcore dudes get their um start getting their music from it's it's skateboarding and watching skateboarding videos yeah. um and going from there so i also went to a um like a catholic high school and no one there was really listening to that kind of music. And I think it was like a sports high school. And then I didn't make the basketball team. So I was like, screw it. I'm just going to like get into punk rock. I think it's pretty much what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, I also went to a Catholic high school nice. and it was, it was all, it was still like the era of like jocks versus everybody else. It, it and, was. 
Yeah, and I no one there was two kids who listened to hardcore besides myself that I that I knew of. And I I remember in my religion class they're like bring in some religious music that you like. Now, I wasn't even in I wasn't even into hardcore at the time, but my my friend had the Zayo where Blood and Fire Bring Rest oh, yeah. CD. I was about to say that one too. Yeah. So I, I, I just wanted to enjoy the shock value. So I brought it in and played track eight, I think. And everyone was like shocked. They're like looking at me like, you listen to this? And I was just like, hey. That's know? so good. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend. Um, he was a little bit older than me and, and he, he, would, he was trying to help me like get into better music at the time. And he definitely brought me like some Zayo and like some Living Sacrifice, you know, all that solid state Christian yeah. um, tooth and nail and all that old, yeah, all yeah. that stuff. And yeah, that's how he kind of tried to get me into that. I remember having a similar experience in high school where I had to bring in a CD to play some music. It was also for a religion class, and I think it was like Dark uh, Black Sails in the Sunset that I brought, like the AFI CD. But mm-hmm. like, I didn't buy it, you know. I I burned it, and then there was like Sharpie all over it, and probably some like glitter and paint and crap too. <laughs> i remember bringing it to my religion teacher and he was like what is this i'm not playing this this looks like it's gonna break my damn cd player wow <laughs> but he put that on but yeah i mean like trying to navigate that kind of music and world and in um another in a pretty conservative um high school was 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 actually kind of the fun of it for me but oh, also yeah. and i say this all the time the in salt lake city where i was from you probably seen slc punk and all that right yeah. oh yeah um and probably not too different from the Northeast scene where uh, it was pretty polarized even within that hardcore community. And I was pretty young, so I didn't see a lot of this stuff happening. Um, but, you know, I was I was aware of it, um, you know, with, the, with Earth Crisis type, um, you know, antics going on with, I mean, people went to jail, um, a lot of violence and a, and a lot of that sort of stuff. So I, um, I was just going to say they did that thing on uh, – remember they used to have that TV show called Gangland where they would profile different gangs all around the country? Yeah. Uh, one of the ones they did was about – like just they, I think they just called it the straight edge gang. But their, their focus was FSU, which was huge yep. here in Philly and, and oh, Boston yeah. and New York. But uh, one of the things they do talk about is there was uh, – I guess there was – uh, a fight outside of a show where somebody was uh, hit with something and, and was actually somebody died, um, and I remember them from that episode yeah. being like, "Wait, isn't that like like the place where all the Mormons are? Like, is it like real? There's like punk rock out there. Like, I just it just <laughs> didn't register with me. I just thought it was like solely like a coastal thing. Like everybody in California and like the East Coast, and that was it. Like everybody else in the middle of the country was like completely left away. And I was like, wait. Yeah. And, yeah, and no, it totally made its way out there, and I think it, it was even worse out there because, um, you know, the, the counterculture was so strong with such a conservative place that um, that Utah and Salt Lake City are yeah. with the religious presence there. Um, the, the people that are fighting against that are going to go pretty hard the other way. And and that's sort of where I kind of got into some of that uh, music. I mean, that was already established. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 34, so that, that was some of that was happening before me. But then it, it sort of evolved into um, like Salt Lake City is kind of a nice haven for like really chaotic hardcore. So I remember some of my first shows were seeing the bands that eventually became like Gaza and Cult Leader. Um, oh wow! Some of the dudes that were in that stuff, yeah. Um, and then the, there was a band called Form of Rocket that that's really probably not very well known, but kind of had this like drive like Jehu um, hardcore thing going on. Um, and so there, there was a lot of the local kind of bands that got me into it. I mean, of course, at the you know prior to getting to that, I'm, I was navigating around like 
you know, Green Day and 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 um and that sort of stuff kind of getting me pushing me that direction and then um you know, going to warp tours and stuff like that definitely helped shape it, but uh Salt Lake City is also kind of like two years or a year and a half removed from everything. So <laughs> like while I, while my buddy and I did watch the Converge DVD while we were in high school, I don't think we had, uh, we weren't getting a whole lot of those types of shows um, nationally coming through Salt Lake. So it took me a little while before um, I kind of, I kind of caught on to some of that stuff. You know, I think by, I had probably listened to Jane Doe when it had come out, but uh, you know, I, I wasn't to the point to where, I listened to it so much that I could that I could play those songs or anything. <laughs> and I think the reason I bring that up is because I I did do just a funny little cover when we were um when we were in quarantine pretty hard at the beginning, and uh, I took a uh, concubine and uh, I made like a video of me. Like first first I was trying to like learn how to play it. Me and my friends try to challenge each other to learn how to play songs. That one's just insanely difficult. So I, I did my yeah. best on that one. And then um, my my I have a pet rabbit. He's eight and a half years old. He's named after Willie Nelson. And he was on this ear medicine because he gets these like inner ear infections. This poor guy. Um, mm-hmm. It's really cute though. And and so we have to put this ear medicine in and he shakes his head like crazy. So I took a <laughs> video of him shaking his head and it looked like he's rocking out. And I mashed it up with like the Converge video of me playing the concubine. And, and then I gave my wife the guitar for a second. I was like, dude, just rock out for a second. I took a video of that and then mashed it all together. So it looks like she's playing the song. My rabbit's rocking out. I'll have to send you guys. It's pretty funny. Oh, I, I got to see that. That's amazing. <laughs> I'll send that to you. But well, anyway, I, 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 I wouldn't even know where to begin trying to, to learn that song, Concubine. It's I just, do. I mean, don't they use a lot of weird tunings too, don't they? Yeah, he does. There's, uh, it's just, I think it's pretty much essentially drop C, but there's one string that he drops down another half step. Wow. And that okay. gives it, um, I think they wrote all of Jane Doe in, in that tuning. I could be wrong, but yeah, it took me a little, it took me a while. I didn't nail it cleanly because that is an insane song, but it's a fun one to kind of learn. I read a, some interview with someone from Converge recently, maybe Kurt, and yeah, he said he invented a tuning and that's the tuning that they use for a, pretty much all of Jane Doe. I remember, yep. I remember him saying that. That's what I read too. Um, yeah. and I, I also recently learned that you can figure out a tuning um, based on the string tension and the gauge of the string, which is mm. kind of cool. So wow. if you had some, if you had some information about the strings he was using and you yeah. knew relatively like what the top note was, you could probably figure it out. Um, the, there's this dude named Mike, um, uh, Michael Mason. He plays guitar in Colt Leader. I just bought a, a guitar from him. He's, um, he makes some really badass handmade um, equipment. He's like total genius kind of guy. And, uh, so I just bought a guitar from him and he, he was explaining to me, I was like, man, what tuning do you play then? And he like, doesn't tell people that kind of stuff. He's like, but the string <laughs> tension is this and this, and the string gauges are this. So with a little bit of math, you could figure it out. And I was like, Oh geez. I love it. It's like, it's like a version of like asking a guy who he votes for or like how much he makes. It's like asking a musician what they tune to. It's like, Oh, I'm not going to yeah. talk about that. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. He didn't, he didn't want to get into it at all. I mean, I still play everything in drop D, so I, you know, I haven't ventured too far out of that. Oh, I would hell like yeah, to get but it. that was the best tuning ever when you yeah. first learned that one. I love it, and I, I want to get something in drop C because I. Well, I now let me ask you this: I was at a guitar shop, and the guy says, you know, if you have drops a guitar in drop C, you want to leave it in drop C because if you're if you're you want to get it set up for drop C and leave it in drop C because if you're tuning up and down, it could fuck it up. Is that is that true? 
Uh, yeah. Well, it depends on when you ask me. If you ask me in present day, I would say, yeah, that is true. But if you asked me three years ago, I'd be like, what, what are they talking about? And that's why I have a guitar with a weird action. So yeah, that's <laughs> totally true. I've so been, I want to, I would like to get one set up in drop C cause that's what everybody's playing in now. And it, it just sounds super heavy. Yeah. That's, it's a great tuning. Um, I don't mind telling my, my tunings, um, Drop C was the first album, um, mm-hmm. Light and Death. That's the whole album is in that one, and then uh, Spotted Horse is in. It's a very similar tuning, but um, you probably heard of Dad Gad. It's actually kind of like an Irish acoustic um, tuning. It's more of an open tuning. Open. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. it's open. Yeah. So I for Spotted Horse I did Dad Gad, but a full step down. So it's C G C F G C, and that. I really like that tuning a lot. That's a fun tuning. Um, and then, um, and then currently we are writing, um, we're about halfway done with a new record and that's a kind of an iteration of, of the CGC FGC. And I take the top three strings and tune them down to a sharp. So basically going a whole nother full a whole step. Nother step. Yeah. Step down. Yeah. So how do you how do you figure these out? Do do people tell you about them? Are you workshopping with other people, or do you just experiment, or both? Well, I think after Light and Death, um, you know, playing drop C, which was just simply essentially drop D, you know, just lower. Um, I had been playing in that tuning, you know, since I first figured out how to do it. You know that when you get that first drop D sound, and your just <laughs> eyes light up when you're like 15, yeah. you know. And I'd been doing that for over 10 years and uh, I was just kind of like getting writer's block and I was like man I love playing guitar but I'm like not really digging it right now yeah. I think it's just because I'm I just need something fresh so um I don't remember how I figured it out or just like looking up other tunings online you know and I think like the first tra- non-traditional tuning is pretty much dad gad you know you kind of that's like a finger picking style there's a lot of like Irish jigs in there so I just kind of was yeah. messing around with that and then just plugged into my rig and was like, whoa, I could have a lot of fun with this. Um, and there, the way, what I like about Dadgad too is um, you can use your index finger and then your ring finger and just two frets apart on the, um, the fourth and the fifth strings. And you're playing the same note. Uh, so you hear that in Lobe um, and a, a, lot of the, a lot of Spotted Horse is, is me playing. It's, it's, you're doubling yourself you're playing the same note um, on two different frets on two different, I'm sorry. Yeah. On two different frets and two different strings. And that just kind of, it matches what I'm doing with the amps. Like, you know, there's two amps, um, there's two cabs and I'm essentially playing the same note, two different ways. And and the the whole part of my sound is me trying to sound bigger and more than I really am. And so Mm -hmm. that tuning allowed me to, to play double the notes, right. Without, um, with only having one hand, I guess. So I, that's one reason I really like um, Dadgad. And then moving into this next tuning that we're playing in now, I kept those bottom three strings or top three strings. I never know how to say that. The, the highest ones, those are the same. So I can still do that and still get those extra sounds. Um, but then I just lowered the, the, the thick string. So it's even heavier, but I still yeah. have that same kind of style. So I'm really enjoying that tuning too. Yeah, so I, I it sounds like I have to start with Dadgad because I experienced the same thing you did. Like I'm playing in drop D, and I'm like, I don't think I can write anything else. Like I think I've done it all. Else <laughs> yeah, to go. yeah, that's how I felt too. That's <laughs> yeah. definitely what happened to me. And well, and it also was kind of cool. I started playing um, 
uh, guitar in a in another band, kind of around the time of Spotted Horse, um, and it was called Cold Wives, um, and it was with some dudes that I I love these guys. Um, Brendan Tobin, uh, he was in a band called Red Sparrows, and uh, yes, made out of babies, and um, and Cooper was in Made Out of Babies as well, um, and I think he was actually in Thursday for a second, did like toured on their on their first album or something like that or anyway those dudes were playing um in in dad gad and i think that i was like well man i just wrote i just wrote a bunch of stuff and spotted a horse in that tuning and um so it, it i just got really familiar with that tuning and those those high three strings i'm just married to that to that sound and those configurations with my with my hands and that's going to be my new you know drop deep or probably the next five ten years or something like that i really like that <laughs> tuning Nice. So you moved back to Austin, right, in 2008? Yes. Yeah, I lived in New Orleans and had like a post-rock band there. And um, I really enjoyed New Orleans. That's where I, you know, got to see, you know, I Hate God's first show back from Katrina. Oh, wow. Um, uh, You know, just all that like real kind of sludgy New Orleans stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, got to become good friends with those dudes in Thou, one of the heaviest bands in the world i was just gonna say i there thou is one of those bands that their artwork as soon as i see it i i'm instantaneously like i i saw one of their records one time and i was like i don't give a fuck what this band sounds like i'm listening (laughs) just because (laughs) everything looks it it, it, if you're not familiar with them like just just google them real fast because they are literally like everything looks like an etching like old style etching of something um their like their imagery is really dark uh, it's right up my alley. I'm like, it, it's some of the stuff is like borderline satanic. I'm like, this is fucking, this is great. This is everything I like about like heavy music. And not only is the music incredibly heavy, it's the artwork, the aesthetic matches. Like it's just, it's a really great marriage of those two things. What's funny about that band and their and their um, aesthetics and stuff and their art is that their vinyls are different from their their digital presence. So oh, I didn't dis- know that. Yeah, they have this really consistent digital presence where it's. I, I, I'm pretty sure what Brian's doing is he's, he goes to the library and finds like these, um, these old pictures, and then that's the online presence. And then it's just a bunch of different various types of things depending on the album. Like Summit looks like this, and then Heathen looks like that. Uh, but I always thought that was pretty cool. And for for a band that's like super super DIY, they uh, and you would think it's not really cared. You know, doesn't care much about their their branding or whatever. They definitely got their that shit on point, which I've always thought was kind of ironic. But they do a great job of that shit for sure, and they sound incredible, by the way. I've never yes. seen them live, but they are fucking. They're one of those bands that as soon as you put them on, it is like they're like so like their their tone is such like this deep, heavy, but there's also this harshness that goes along with it. Um, it is really it's they they are probably i've never seen them live but i i would venture to say that they are like one of those bands that when you see them you can feel the vibration that they play like it's that that you kind can. of heaviness and they're, they're they're tuning i mean they, i think in one song they like went down to like drop d so <laughs> like when i say drop d i mean they go a whole nother octave down. Down from that, yeah. And I also heard that, like, I'm pretty sure Andy just uses thin strings, too. And he just gets it set up, like, how he needs it. But I would think if you're going that low, 
you would start with heavier gauge strings. Yeah, like a yeah. 70 gauge top string or something yeah. like that. But apparently he, he's like somewhere in the low 50s or maybe even high 40s or something. But wow, I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I saw them randomly at St. Vitus. Um, now, th- that style is not my go-to style. Like, I, I love everything post and then like hardcore, metalcore, and then hip-hop. Those are like yeah. my the top three genres that I listen to. But I was blown away. Like they they were incredible live, and I actually went and like checked out some of their records, and yeah, they're they're just awesome. Yeah, they're they're super crushing. Yeah, that's where. I, so I, I met those dudes in in New Orleans and stuff, and I think they were from Baton Rouge at the time. But um, so before I moved to Austin, I was definitely like getting much more involved making music in New Orleans, and and you know when I lived in Salt Lake City and I was in in high school, I was you know going to shows, whatever was was coming out, um, you know, and and kind of got into metal that there uh i remember one time i saw my mom was like where are you going tonight i was like oh, i'm going to show she's like what what bands are playing and i was like uh let's see scarlet the black dahlia murder every time i die <laughs> and as i lay dying which now we call <laughs> as i try to kill my wife but my mom was like um okay have fun honey <laughs> stay safe yeah. i love it so that's a, like my metal core high school days for sure was into that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, and then New Orleans, I started making music. Um, and then moved to Austin in 2008 and uh, had a hard time trying to, you know, I just, I was new to town. So it took me a while to like find people and friends. Actually, Dustin and I, our old bands played together in New Orleans when I still lived there and he was living mm-hmm. in San Antonio and they toured through New Orleans. And that's how we met. So when I moved back to Austin, um, I reached out to him. And we kind of became friends and, and started making music not too long after that. So that's kind of where where Austin and Glassing kind of started. Oh, okay. So yeah, that, and that that was something I wanted to ask about because I moved to New York City in 2012. And I was like, this is it. It's going to be a new chapter for me. I'm going to get really involved in the music scene. I'm going to be in all these great bands. And it didn't quite happen. I, I was in a couple bands, but it, it, I just found it incredibly difficult to find people and, you know, to find people to join a band or stay in a band or to find people that I actually wanted to play with. It was just really, really, really hard. It is, man. It's it's really tough, especially when you're new somewhere and yeah. trying to get to know people. Um, for a while there, I was just playing. I had a, like a practice space just for myself and I would, I ended up writing like a bunch of, you know, ambient kind of noisy solo stuff and and was doing that for a while and um i remember i played when i kind of realized i didn't want to do it anymore i played a like a little noise show uh upstairs at like an art gallery and um you know i had like my full stack i think like two other amps for like samples and stuff and um and then the next person that played just pulled out a um like a Coleman camping table, you know, it's a fold-out table. Oh yeah, yeah. And just put put their laptop on top, and then just played bird sounds through a PA for thirty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need a drummer. Yeah, <laughs> so, I need to play music with somebody. So from the time you moved to Austin, were there other bands you were in first, or was Glassing the first full band from when you moved back to Austin? Yeah, there there was a hell of a lot of attempts, but. Um, and a bunch of raw recordings I've, you know, I, I, we always use a, like a little Sony, um, 
camcorder to record our practices. And I've had something like that for a long time. And if I go through my computer right now, I could probably find five different bands that never played a single show that I was in starting in Austin. Um, Just, you know, going through drummers and trying to find people that clicked and a lot of times just me and a drummer. Um, So yeah, that glassing was the first thing that really kind of that made any sort of progress for sure uh, after Austin. So how did it come together? You meet Dustin. How do you meet uh, your drummer? Yeah, Camacho, right? Yeah, Camacho. Um, so Dustin and I started writing together um, with um, with another drummer friend of ours. He was actually more of a guitar player. Um, and so we were kind of writing songs with him. And then we were playing. We actually played a couple shows. Um, I don't think we really count these as like official shows. But we played a couple shows. Um, and it was like instrumentally and... Dustin was playing bass through like a guitar cab and the songs were, I don't think we were playing any of the songs that um, even were on like the seven inch and stuff. Um, but we played a show with a band called Lechugias, which is um, Camacho's noise rock band. And they are insane. Um, I mean, I mean, they, they like became like odd, like almost local legends, like really quick just cause they were so scronky and dirty and just like fucking weird dudes but they're the best (laughs) and so uh and i'm not even you know i'm not like a huge noise rock fan so much um but but i get it for sure and i love the passion behind it and after just watching him a few times i mean i I was straight up a fan of lechuguez before i knew camacho at all and uh i remember one time we went to i went to go see lechuguez at this like uh skate park warehouse thing and he uh, he was on one that night. He they killed their set, um, and then he goes over the merch table. And he's he, we don't let him do merch, by the way. And this is the reason <laughs> why uh, we I go up to the merch table. I mean, I definitely want to get a record, but there's like 20 people around trying to get shit. And he he's like still in the zone from playing drums. He just takes a whole box of records and just throws them, just throws them at everybody <laughs> like it's like he's Oprah, just tossing them out, <laughs> throwing at people, throwing shirts at people. Didn't ask for any money, and I was like, okay, well, if that dude's ever in a band with me, he's not doing merch. But I still have that record, and uh, they were just so good, man. You know, and and uh, we put, so we played a show with them one time, and um, somehow the conversation just kind of came up that uh, it would be awesome to to jam together sometime, and then um, yeah, and then he, he ended up just joining the band, and um, that's kind of how that happened. That's awesome. And it sounds like the key is just perseverance and like still doing it. Because I've talked to a lot of artists where even if they don't have a full band or even if they have no band, they're still doing it. Like they're they're recording demos themselves or playing solo gigs or going around to shows. It's like it's like you have to be in it. Dude. Yes, man. I, I think that's exactly the kind of mindset that we have. And I've I've noticed that for a while, too. It's just that there's and there's some bands that maybe they're just you know not the not the greatest, but you stick around long enough and you can kind of make some progress just by the the virtue of just keeping at it. Um, and I think that we we're trying to trying to do that too. I, I kind of realized today that we played our first show like almost almost six years ago actually. So it's oh really yeah. So we've been we've been kind of. We did a lot of nothing for a long time, though. Uh, but we did go on our first tour in 2015. That was relatively lengthy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, sticking through it. Yeah, I think the, Keith, I, the connection I always think of is uh, like remember when we f- first started going to shows and you would see all else failed, 
Yeah. And you were like, oh, okay. All right. Like, they're noisy and they're loud. And it's like 20 years later, they're fucking one of the, they are, you know, like when they come around, like it, Keith and I go crazy for them. Like they yeah. are. It doesn't matter what, where we are or what we're doing. We drop everything and we go to the show. That's it. it that's that's awesome. it, They're just, and they're one of those bands that have, this is, you know, it's going on 20 years now. They've been doing it. And it's like, they get better with age. And then there's like stuff that you go back and listen to because they have such this like they have such a broad catalog of stuff that you you rediscover things that you didn't even know you forgot. It's just they're just like a the, the example of like just keep going and persevering and just keep doing it because you love it. Yeah, even yeah. taking it back to Converge. Converge was around for like a long time before they even got to caring and killing and petitioning the empty sky. There was like many, many years. Oh yeah, that that uh, Converge DVD I remember watching in high school. I think part of the reason I didn't like pick up on them until You Fail Me kind of came out was after watching that DVD, I was like, man, these guys are kind of, uh, you know, I don't know how refined they really are, but it's, it's because <laughs> the first 30 minutes of that DVD is from like 1994 or something. Yes, yeah. Yeah, they've been yeah. around for a long time. Yeah, it's a great example of someone stuck around, but they're also kick-ass. When you look out in the crowd and you see a lot of people with Jinkos on, you're like, what What? What year was this? <laughs> what the fuck's going on here? That's true. <laughs> so Glassing gets together around 2014. Is that correct? I would say that's correct, yeah. Okay. So we're together. We're playing shows. What was your, what was your first release? Because I got turned on to you guys from Spotted Horse, and I know you have the LP before that. Yeah, we did, a, um, we did do a 7-inch, but... Um... That one, that one's kind of, kind of shed shed that a little bit. Um, I think our songs like at first were a little more like, I think some of that New Orleans stuff was still kind of rubbing off on me, like pulling a little bit slower and, um, kind of more like maybe even like stonery kind of stuff. Okay. I mean, I mean not like, not like sleep or like, you know, clutch or anything like that. But I mean, it was just a little more. Um, I don't think it, maybe it's not as tight, not as fast, not as mm-hmm. um, kind of untraditional. I think uh, I think Dustin and Camacho helped me, you know, help drive the songs more like that. Yeah. Um, I think that first seven inch is still kind of cool though. But yes, so I think, but part of the reason we transition towards that towards what you hear in Spotted Horse and even in Light and Death is uh, one thing people probably don't know about Dustin is he's a, like a pretty virtuoso kind of like math rock guitarist. He was in a band called Feuding Fathers. <clears throat> I think his the drummer from that band is in, in New York City right now. We stayed with him. He lives literally around the corner from St. Vitus. So when we played there, we just walked to his house. Oh, nice. But anyway, those two, his name's Mason. Dustin and Mason were in a band called Feuding Fathers. Uh, and that is just shred-tastic. Uh, melody type stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so Dustin, I don't know if he has, if it's, you know, full-on ADD or what, but he is just, you know, he's he's very down to just move around and go fast and do crazy times and, and that sort of stuff. And I think he, he helped uh, push us in that direction, which I mean, it's not like we're playing like super crazy stuff like, like that, but um, you know, like the beginning of sleeper and stuff like that, where it's a little more chaotic. Um, I think I kind of helped bring the, the chaotic hardcore type style to it, but he kind of brought the freneticness of it in general. And Camacho was in a noise rock band. So that's just what he wants to do anyway. So that's kind of where the sound evolved, I think. 
you know, so that was what I was going to ask is like, there's a, so I, uh, in probably sophomore or junior year of high school, I was in a band and the drummer from that band turned me, turned me on a, uh, a lot of black metal bands. And I, I hear some of that influence. And what I'm hearing from you now is kind of like, it's, it's not really a black metal influence as much as it's kind of like a, a, a combination of these different things that just kind of came together. And it just so happens to have that kind of same sound. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. At the same time, I do think that we, have somehow become almost almost a, a a band that has a ton of black metal stuff in it. Yeah. But yeah, we didn't really come at it from let's make black metal um, type stuff. We we do tell Camacho to like yo know, just blast right there, just yeah. do the blast beats. So I guess <laughs> that kind of kind of creates. And then with just the double picking that I do on a lot of s- songs, um, I guess it could be considered black metal. But we definitely don't go into it thinking like we're gonna make a a black metal song. Okay, cool. Because it's like I, in my head, I'm like, there's times where like, actually, the that just that opening section of Sleeper, like, it's as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, this sounds like there's a there's an Emperor riff that sounds like not similar, but like I can hear the same style, like it's the same picking style, the same drumming style. It's like, damn, that is really solid. Like that's fucking solid black metal, and then it just goes in that complete other direction with like the post rock sound. So I'm like. Wow, this yeah. is just – it's such a cool um, – I think that one of the first bands I heard do something like that was like some uh, like like Deaf Heaven or somebody where they like kind of mix these things together. And when you hear somebody that does like can mix something that's so harsh and then so – like there's melody behind it. Like there's something that's building to and then it's like, wow, this is just powerful. Like it's something that comes out of there and it's like it, – it, 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 kind of transcends all these different you know people try to put like a you know oh it's this genre or it's this or it's that it's like you guys just have all of these disparate parts that just come together and it really sounds like you don't like honestly if you turn someone on a glassing like they go i've never heard anything like that like that's that's like the the biggest thing i i hear when i show people the band they're like oh, okay, it kind of sounds like this and this and this mixed together. I always get like the, oh, it's like if like if this will destroy you or like Caspian started a black metal band. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, I, okay. I, we see that a lot in the, in like the reviews and stuff. It's kind of funny because if, if a review comes out, we, we already kind of know they're going to spend half the review talking about how we mix different stuff together. Yeah. And that does happen. And and yeah, I mean, we're, we, we're down with down with that heaven and what they kind of do. Um I remember, was it maybe 2011? They played in my house, which was pretty cool. Wow. And uh, that story is kind of funny just because I, I told the, I think it was Touche Amore and, um, and uh, Caravels. And that was, it was a pretty sick show. But I remember telling the, every, <clears throat> everyone there, I was like, hey, I'm leaving at 10. So the show's got to be done by 10. And like, I'm not even going to be here. So the cops show up. You got to deal with them yourselves. So I left at 10, like, I think as Def Heaven was playing, and then the cops definitely came. My roommate texted me. He's like, dude, I had to walk through the living room while a band was playing just between the guitar player and the drummer to get into my room. And it was like Def Heaven playing in the living room. And he was so pissed. And, of course, the cops came, and he had to deal with them instead of me. So that I don't think that dude ever forgave me for that shit. <laughs> but I got off topic there. But, yeah, man, I think that that kind of – that sound is, is definitely – it just kind of comes out, um, I'm sure, through influences that we have. But yeah, I'm, I've never heard anyone say that I could play an Emperor riff, so now I'm pretty stoked. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, there, there's since Def Heaven came out, there's been a lot of bands toying with like the post-black metal thing and mixing a lot of their genres. And I love 
all of these types of bands. You guys, Holy Fawn is another one. Who, Tommy, oh, yeah, who's that are... band from? Ter- who's that band from Toronto? You turned me on to Respire. Uh, Respire, yeah, yeah. Yep. They're they're another one. I love like for for and for glassing especially like you know because there's bands that that take elements of post rock and post hardcore and and metal and all that stuff and mix them, but but you guys do it and it's it just sounds like completely yours. You know what I mean? Like it's not like oh, like Tommy was saying. It's like it's not just oh, they're doing this and this. Like glassing is glassing. It's like its own entity, and it's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's just kind of just the amalgamation of the th- the three of us. Maybe it's partly that I used to play the saxophone, and my fingers go the wrong direction. Who knows? Something something along those lines. But yeah. you mentioned Holy Fawn, and I have to just take a second to say that that band is absolutely incredible. Yes, we- they're just unbelievable. I finally saw them. They played at St. Vitus. And I remember, you know, whenever I see the band, it reinvigorates my interest in the records. And I went and just listened to Take Me With You, like, again and again. And I was like, oh my God, these guys are like, incredible. Just they're, incredible. They're so good. I'm, I'm jealous you got to see them at St. Vitus. They, um, they came through Austin just the one time. It was funny because we've been talking with them for years about trying to get a show together. And we're always like, hey, if you ever come to Austin, let us know. And then yeah. they come to Austin with like thrice and me without you. And they're like, well, I think we're good on the show in Austin. I think we got to take care. <laughs> but we first kind of got uh, introduced to them. Um, I guess that was 2017. We did a, a West Coast tour with This Will Destroy You. And the last show of the night uh, or of, of the tour was um, was in Arizona. I can't remember if it was Phoenix or where, where it was. But uh, yeah, so the, and the Holy Fawn dudes were, were there. And then, you know, they started chatting us like um, on Instagram, whatever, just like, yeah, good show and stuff like that. And I was like, cool. And, and just didn't really think anything of it. And then like six months later, I started like see them on my Instagram feed. I was like, oh, I'll, check, I'll check these guys out. I think I remember these are the guys we were talking to in Arizona. And then just put on the song and I was just completely blown away. And like bought at the time, they only had that first CD out. Yeah. Bought that and just like, just became like the instant mega fan and then they put out death spells oh yeah it's <laughs> unbelievable okay. we, we 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 get mad when we put it on uh, as a band. <laughs> like we'll put it on the van and Dustin's like dude just turn this off I'm like, what are you talking about he's like it's i just too good i can't i can't fucking do it. it's making me piss about our music <laughs> that's that's how good they are and they're just like the sweetest people um i've actually never really uh in person met them i wasn't at the show in austin and i was out of town but Dustin Camacho went and met him, and I've been talking to him online and stuff. But whatever, they're just the nicest dudes. Nothing but the best for those guys. I hope they just become huge. Same. And I haven't even listened to that first record yet. I'm so stuck on Death Spells. I haven't even gone back and listened to the first record yet. It's so I have that. really I have, good, man. I have that to look forward to. And I think it's just Ryan in his room. I don't yeah. think... That, I'm pretty positive that's not a full band. Yeah. Yeah. See, another example. You just got to do it. You just got to do, do it. it yourself. Just stick with it, and the other pieces will come together. Absolutely. So you said uh, you said the first glassing tour was in 2015. Yeah, we did one in in 2015. That was kind of um, up through, you know, I think we did like Oklahoma, Nebraska, St. Louis, Chicago, um, and then back down through like Tennessee and Alabama and Louisiana, you know, kind of like a mid mid coast south type run. And that was just by ourselves, and then uh, and then we wrote and recorded. I don't know if we had Light and Death done by then or not. 
But then we spent a long time writing and, and kind of took a year off from touring. And the next time we went out was was with This Will Destroy You. I think we had done some like little runs here and obviously played a bunch of local shows and stuff. Um, but then we did the run with This Will Destroy You. And then after that, that's when we kind of finished writing and recorded Spotted Horse. And then uh, more recently did that kind of bigger East Coast tour um, at the end of, or I guess, shit, I guess it was around this time last year. It's been a while since we toured. We were about to go to Europe. We would be just be getting back from Europe now. That was kind of a bummer, but um, that's kind of our tour history. Yeah. So who uh, who was the European tour going to be with? Oh, man. There's this band called Ingrina. I-N-G-R-I-N-A. Mm-hmm. Um, French. I would say a dark French Caspian. Um, Ooh. And that's kind of, I mean, that's not giving them enough credit even. I mean, Caspian's amazing. Don't get me wrong, but they're, yeah. they're so cool. They have this, there's something about and getting into a lot of these French bands after being in touch with these people for so long. By the way, Medication Time Records is uh, Antonin from Ingrina's record label, um, and they just put out Spotted Horse on tape and CD, um, and we're talking about doing some stuff with them in the future, potentially. But um, he's turning me on to like all these different French bands, and man, I, I kind of realized like, there's the sound of like the post-hardcore stuff in France is really where we should be. Like that's where like the kind of the market is, I suppose, for the kind of music we play. Like in the U.S., you know, it takes takes you and us, you know, you and I talking from states away over the same thing. There's not a lot of this stuff going on in Austin, Houston is a hole for this stuff completely. Maybe some stuff in Dallas are more into like post rock than than the heavier side of it, I think, or just thrash metal up in Dallas and stuff. So, and and Austin's got a lot of punk. So finding the the niche of the kind of music we play. Um, it's been kind of hard. So yeah, this band in Greena is kind of just right up our alley and they just kind of reached out to us and said, Hey, we really love Spotted Horse. Um, do you think your label could, uh, would let us put it out on tape? And also do you want to, um, we were simultaneously getting hit up to come play this fest in Belgium. So we were like, well, yeah, we can't just only go to Belgium though. We would need to tour around it. So we said, Hey, um, there's this label that wants to put our stuff out on tape. Maybe they can help us with shows. And then they were like, yes, we can. Actually, I'm in a band called Ingrina. Check them out and was completely blown away. I just got the record in the mail the other day. There's two, two uh, XLP just masterpiece. So go check that out. It's called Edder Lease, I think. Um, but yeah, that's who we were going to go tour in Europe with. Nice. So hopefully that'll, that'll happen again whenever the music industry uh, opens back up, which is looking like next year Yeah, by what, I think- by what everyone's saying. I think next year. And we also had something in September. We were going to do a little run with a band called Grivo, which I think you guys would like. G-R-I-V-O. Um, they're Austin homies, and it's uh, just really uh, pretty melancholy shoegaze stuff. Nice. Oh, Definitely I love that. Definitely check that band out. Yeah, we were going to go up there to do a run up to PostFest. Yes. Um, have you heard of PostFest? Yes, I I saw it because I saw you guys and a bunch of other bands I like were on that. Yeah, yeah, I think I was. I don't know how much they had announced, so I don't want to say too much. But I know the one that we were going to be on was the first day. That was this little story you Grivo us. Uh, I can't remember the other two bands, but I remember them being pretty sick. Uh, so yeah, there we were going to do that too. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, you know, we were really excited to go to to France. We were kind of bummed. We were going to do France. I think the Netherlands, Belgium. I think there might have been a date in Germany too. Um, but man, yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I always think, 
you know, when I lived in Louisiana, part of the reason I did because I have some, I guess, like heritage there. My grandma was born there and I, you know, her family was from there and stuff. And I always kind of think like, it's kind of ironic that the kind of music ended up writing is uh, enjoyed most by the French people. Like, I wonder if there's some sort of like, <laughs> like lineage family blood thing that I'm, you know what I mean? I don't know. That seems weird, but. I love that. Well, the French have good taste because I find it incredibly difficult. No, no, I live, I split my time between Manhattan and Brooklyn, and I I don't know anyone who listens to the same music as me up here. Anyone. Yeah, exactly. The only time I have someone to go to a show with is if my girlfriend goes, and she likes it sometimes, like she really loved Holy Fawn and nice. some other some other bands she has seen. Like the only time other time I would go to a show with someone is if I go down to Philly to see Tommy. Like yeah. I don't know. I don't know where all the post people are. I have to find them. <laughs> where are my post peeps at? <laughs> yeah, I go to shows, I see all the people. I'm like, who are these people? What how how do I break into this? I don't know. You gotta go to France. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> I when you, were, when you were when you were when you were saying that I was like I should just move to France. I could start a <laughs> I think you should, man. I could start hey, a cool, cool post band. Yeah, dude. I think what's cool about that place is um, that we were like looking at our tour, just the the routing and whatnot, and it was it was a little all over the place. But we, uh, the point is, is, like we could have refined a couple of dates really easily to make it to where like literally two and a half hour drive, like every day, make maybe up to five, and that's a little bit more like the way it is to tour on the East Coast. Um, so I think touring would be nice over there too. But the oh, man, out where we are and. And then West Coast, oh, it's, it's just a nightmare to to do these tours on that side of the country just because you're going to be getting eight to ten hour drives pretty much at some point yep. if you're going to do that. Um, so I, we really definitely like the shorter. I mean, obviously everybody does, but I think France has that going for us. And in, in Europe in general, and I, we haven't been to Europe yet, but I, I hear that the way they do it is just there's a lot more hospitality. Um, they kind of it's it, you're going to get a place to stay. That's just like part of the way they work. So, you know, there's a lot of that going on that we were kind of bummed to not be able to. But yeah, next year we're gonna we're gonna do post festival be rescheduled, and then we'll we'll do what we were about to do with Europe next year too. Nice. So I got turned on to you guys from this will destroy you posted and told everybody to check out Spotted Horse, <laughs> yeah, and I I'm that. a huge, huge, huge this will destroy you fan. So I listened, I listened to them and I was like, all right, let me check this out. And that's when I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Did you see a big jump after they made that post? Yeah, we, yeah, a little bit. We, a little bit. We, I mean, we, it was, we had already toured with them when they said that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did for sure. Um, I mean, those dudes are, are, you know, really close friends with us. Um, Andrew is their, current bass player and he's he's uh, mixed um all of our records and he recorded uh spotted horse and mixed it completely wow. he's recorded our our the new stuff we're working on uh jeremy the guitar player who sits down although i think i saw both of those motherfuckers sitting down the last time i saw them play <laughs> yeah they they do and i i was yeah. like on one hand i was like wait what's going on but on the other i'm like well you know, it's a long set, and yeah, we're we're getting him. older. I'll give him a pass. I, I asked Jeremy <laughs> once, um, so why do you sit down? He's like, just kind of like to be like mono. Is that is that why he's like no, dude? Because I'm fucking lazy. So that's the <laughs> answer. That's the secret right there. Okay. Um, but yeah, so Jeremy and I, he we lived together for a year in, I guess 2012 something like that. 
20, maybe like 2013. Um, we had met in New Orleans um, with my old post rock band played with This Will Destroy You in like 2010, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, hey, you guys are from Texas, right? And he's like, yeah. I was like, hey, I'm about to move back to Austin. He's like, cool, we should go, you know, float the river and drink some beers or whatever. And um, so we kind of became friends when I moved back to Austin. And then eventually needed, um, you know, was looking for a new place. And we lived together for about a, a year. And he uh, moved in with his cat that he named Lord Baelish, like a total psycho. He <laughs> names our cat Lord Baelish, but he did. And I have my my bunny Willie, so they were we had little animal friends. But yeah, I mean, all to say, we were just super close with those guys. And um, Chris has done all the artwork for us, like um, for the last, actually for all the everything we've done, he's done the artwork for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're just the fucking godfathers of post rock and the the. You know, our there are uncles. You know, they kind of help. They've helped us with everything. They're the best. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever, Corey? You ever seen that meme where it's? Uh, uh, hold on, I already know what it's going to say. Can I guess? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go okay. ahead and guess. It. All right. It's like I don't know what it's from. It's probably some sort of anime or cartoon thing or something. And it's this big character, and it's this little story, and it's them carrying the rest of the post rock scene on its back, on their right? shoulders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, never mind. <laughs> yeah, I think Which, I mentioned that on the the audio tree thing. Is oh, that exact did? same meme? Yeah. Oh, that's. I funny. had just seen it. Oh, it's so good. It's because I mean, you know, I'm not gonna say it's true, but um, they they are the best. I'll just. Say I that. will say this: they continue to reinvent themselves, yet yeah. still remain compelling and good. Yeah. You, you yeah, know what they I just mean? Put out a record that's a soundtrack for a fucking restaurant. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. The the they the ground they can cover. So okay, the the best thing that I think they've ever done is they have a twelve inch picture disc. It's a forty five RPM on both sides, and it's called uh, "Moving on the Edges of Things," mm-hmm. and it sounds like the record player is eating itself. It's <laughs> it, it's like the soundtrack to a horror movie. Uh, and I just love the ground that they can cover, especially like you compare Tunnel Blanket to 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 self title, and you're like, are these the same bands? Like, <laughs> what happened to them? Exactly. Like, some of this shit's so scary. That <laughs> jump is legendary, and I talk about it. I've mentioned it a couple of times in our Instagram account. Like, I you know I knew them as the nice post rock band who put out the self titled, and yeah. one day we went to Kung Fu Necktie in Philly to see them. And we're all like high and drunk and out of our minds, and suddenly they they open with Black Dunes, and we all, we all <laughs> yes. looked at each other. We're like, "What the fuck is going on?" And it was. Dude, just... I wish I would have seen that show. I, we played the, at that that venue too. Like that's pretty small for them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This was this was like was awesome. uh, this was ten years ago. So yeah. Okay. They've grown exponentially since, but I'll never forget that show. It was it was incredible. That is a good memory right there. That's pretty sweet. I think around that same time, um, I guess kind of the, the night I met them in New Orleans, they they were playing the um, Tunnel Blanket stuff too. And that's kind of a funny story. There are some some people there that it was like an, one of those open kind of bars in New Orleans where uh, you don't have to pay to, to get in. I don't think they're probably just getting like a cut from the bar and stuff. So there's people there that are not there to see the show at all. And during their quiet parts, just you know, being loud. And then I think at some point these two people just are like dancing right in front of Chris's face. (laughs) And, uh, I think eventually a bat came out or the bartender came out with a chair and like a fight broke out and stuff. (laughs) So yeah, it's like, 
with those dudes, you never know what's going to happen. Like their music is, is over here and then over there. Their shows can turn crazy sometimes, I guess. They're, they're just, they got a lot of range, those boys. Seriously, I saw a fist fight break out during one of their sets. There you go, Nancy. Like, yeah, in New York. I was like, what the fuck? Isn't this a post-rock show? You know what I bet it was? I bet somebody wouldn't shut the hell up and someone got mad. I've yeah. seen that happen so many times. When they played their 10-year anniversary of the self-titled, it was um, it was at Red Seven or Barracuda. The name had changed. And rest in peace, by the way. The venue just uh, went under, sadly. Yeah. But they uh, they played outside, and they're pl- and self title is a really quiet album. And they have the the door swinging open and closed from people coming in from the inside stage. And there's a for some reason someone booked a band on the inside stage. There's no one in there watching them, and you get to hear this loud like whatever indie rock crap was happening. Just bleeding through like the quietest little you know uh, <laughs> ambient part of one of their seven minute quiet songs, and I would punch somebody out too for that. I I have shushed people during post rock bands because yeah. I it's one oh, yeah. it's probably my favorite genre, and I get very into it. I get very emotional, and like I was seeing Balmeray before, and there's like yeah. these, there's these two people on a first date. And like I hear the mo- this most emotional, beautiful music, and all I hear is, "So what do you like to do?" I don't know. So what do you like to? Do? And I was like, I was like, "Hey, shh." And then like they were mad at me for the rest of the show. But dude, it's like it's an experience. I mean, it come is. On. I, you know, I saw, I got to see Balmeray and This Will Destroy together Ooh. play at a comedy club um, <laughs> with stadium seating, and it only I say stadium, it only fit like maybe just like sixty people something like that like really small wow and it's like movie theater style goes up and that was like right when i moved to austin uh that was a really cool show but yeah i can imagine someone saying even a word in that little auditorium people have been pissed oh, be yeah. respectfully you know so i saw Gla- i managed to see glassing once which i'm very happy about now you were supposed to play some gig at brooklyn bazaar and oh, yeah. I, I think that got canceled or something and, yeah. you, and what happened there yeah, we were trying to, uh, so, um, Gifts from Enola, awesome post-rock band. Yeah. They were around for, for a while in the early, mid-2000s, late 2000s, I guess. Anyway, um, I think they kind of call it quits in like 2013, something like that, and um, they were doing a reunion show um, with Constance, and both of those bands um, I had played with in, in my old post-rock band when I was in New Orleans, so I, I kind of knew those dudes. And um, when I saw when we were trying to book the tour that that was happening at St. Vitus, I like pulled out all the stops. I was like asking everyone I knew, like, how can we get on this show? Yeah. Um, so honestly, I just begged, borrowed and steal. That's how that happened. <laughs> and I, I was so happy because I saw I saw, OK, on the same night, Glassing is playing Brooklyn Bazaar and Gates is playing St. Vitus on that Gifts yeah. of Enola show that you're talking about. And I was like, fuck. Yeah. How am I going to choose? On that too. Yeah, I was like, how am I going to choose between these two? I can't. I can't. I, I I need to see Glassing, and Gates is one of my favorite bands. Like, what am, what am I going to do? So I saw that the show just became one. Like yeah. now, now Glassing is opening the show. At so the happy that happened, and Gates too. was incredible too. That whole show was just so good. Um, I loved those bands, and I'm happy they let us on. I think if we didn't have some of the post twinkly parts. We wouldn't have been able to get on that show because those aren't exactly heavy bands. I right. think we're probably a little more ag- aggressive than than those, and there's certainly not. 
I think maybe Guess from Manila has some screaming kind of stuff in the background, but they didn't add vocals to like their third album or something. Either yeah. way, I'm happy that whoever ended up making the decision, I think it was actually F- Fred who books a bunch of stuff and, and writes reviews and stuff. He's an um, awesome guy in, in Brooklyn. I think he ended up helping us pull the strings on that. It was an awesome show, and it, it felt like old times. You know what I mean? When like Hell any yeah. band under the umbrella of hardcore would just play together, and it was exactly. cool. Yeah. Felt the same way. I was. We were stoked. Yeah, and I I, I do remember you because I bought it. I bought a shirt, and I just remember thinking, "Wow, this guy is really nice." So it should be you working the merch table. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, man. Um, the so Dustin Camacho. I mean, you know why Camacho is not allowed to because he'll just little <laughs> yeah. throw shit at people. Um, <clears throat> also, the the damn like the PayPal or the the reader, the Bluetooth reader for cards. I, I yeah. think. I think I'm actually the only human that knows how to work that thing. Oh, in general, not just my band. Those things are the worst. Uh, the first day of the tour, we got a quarter stuck in the PayPal card reader. And it was just this like ironic old world meets new world technology. I got an old world piece of, 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 uh, of money stuck into a thing that only takes new world money. And I had to get a credit card to get the quarter out. I mean... Imagine Camacho trying to deal with that. He would throw it at somebody. He, he wouldn't be able to handle it. So, but we do have a, a plan where, as soon as we're done, um, you know, I'll wrap up a couple cables. But those dudes will be the muscle and like help kind of move the gear, and I kind of go to the to the merch table. So we we do kind of have a system there. But I appreciate kind words. Yes. So what's coming up now? Let me let me tell the audience. We Tommy and I have heard uh, yeah. an an advance of one of the demos that they're working on for the new album. And I have to say, it's it's incredible. It's pure glassing. Yeah. And uh, Corey, like you were mentioning with like the heavier tuning, like the heavier parts are heavier. The post-rock parts are just beautiful. It, it was it was incredible. So thanks for giving us a sneak peek of that. Heck yeah. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. It's, we're in that phase of uh, we just got like the first rough backs and, you know, we still have notes and all that stuff, but I'm just so excited to show somebody. So, um, I'm, I'm happy I got to, to send it to you. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, having tuning down an extra step, it, you just get a little more of that crush, Oh yeah. but I'm keeping the same, the same tuning on the high stuff. So those, some of those parts are kind of familiar. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how, how the response is from it. I think it's I think we're writing stuff that's a little, it, it's definitely very glassing Um It might be a little more out there um, in terms of, uh, I don't want to say darker necessarily, but like maybe a little more, I, I think the end has kind of got this creepy melancholy thing that, um, that I'm like, I think it's cool to explore because it's not just pretty. Yeah. It's not just dark. It's, it's kind of got this, uneasy vibe to it and i think we all really are into to that sort of vibe i don't know if that's just seeping in from society right now or what the deal is but uh, i'm digging that kind of timbre right now i think it is and that's that's a good point because day to day is just so crazy i lose track of what day it is and time and like i my mood is just so up and down you know what i mean it's like is this are you experiencing the same thing yeah, man. Um, I mean, at practice the other day, I was just like, I had to go just sit down. I was just like, I don't know, not digging it. I don't know what it is. Um, probably me not playing basketball. <laughs> this probably would have worked out in three months. Uh, I need to go for a run. 
I, you know, I think it's, it's a lot of that. Um, our, our work situations are different. Um, both the boys are, uh, not doing what they were doing before all of this. And I think that's, that's taken a little bit of a toll on them. Um, I, I'm fortunate that I was able to just start working from home, but, um, I'm sitting in the same part of my house all day, um, every day and, and losing some of that social interaction. Um, I mean, everything's going to seep, seep into your music and with what's happening now, if it's, it's a weird time to write music. So I'm, I'm pretty interested to see, and I've always been into darker music that makes you feel something. Um, yes. I have a, a pretty, I'm quick to disdain and on superficial music. You know, I have a hard time listening to something that's just there to be there. I don't know how to describe yeah, it. I, I just want something that's that that pulls at me, you know? Absolutely. Tommy and I had this discussion before. We're texting and he's like he's like we listen to like hardcore hip hop and like hardcore bands and post rock. He's like what what are we doing? Like we're all over the place. <laughs> we and I was I was like nail no, it down either. <laughs> yeah, and I was like dude, it 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 all makes us feel something. Yeah. Like it it all touches that same nerve like that's the music that i love if i listen to it and i have a visceral reaction to it it makes me feel something that's it i love it yeah uh, to that point i think i heard i heard someone say it really well um i think it was one of my friends from rosetta uh an amazing band by the way they i know them out of philly right yeah well I, I don't know them know them but i i've seen them a bunch of times yeah yeah they, they create that kind of music for me too and i think i heard one of them saying uh in a podcast that it's music they they want to make and they want to listen to music that demands your attention. Yeah. It's not just background music. It's not something, it's something that demands your attention. Um, and I'll never forget when we were driving from, I think it was probably like Tucson to San Diego or something. And we put on their new record, Utopioid. And I don't think we said a word the entire hour. I mean, that kind of music demands your attention and it's got this, they always do a good job of that, that sort of melancholy. It's, it's not just sad downer stuff. It's, it's intricate. It, it makes you think a little bit. There's some hope. There's some sadness. There's it, it just kind of runs a gamut. And um, I think that you, you got to have all of that in there to, mm -hmm. to really to make a point. Um, and instead of just kind of always making everything so pretty or everything so dark or everything so heavy, we, I think that's part of the reason that why we we kind of go in different directions. And, and one song may have four different genres into it because going about our, our everyday, there's things just change things are different you feel different emotions and i think our songs kind of capture just like that that ebb and flow of of life you know absolutely it definitely comes across so when can we expect some new material from glassing or do we not know yet well i think i think what's probably going to happen here is we'll um the so we have half a new record um done um and I don't know why we decided to piece it together this way other than um, we, we wanted to to put a single out, essentially. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a, an interesting... Remember back in the day, you go and you get a single, like on tape or CD? Like a single. Yeah, a <laughs> single, man. Um, I don't know. We think we just kind of wanted to flirt with that. We've never done that. We've only just put out a full length. Hey, boom, here's a full length. Um, right. You know, so I think this time we're like, let's trickle it out a little bit sooner. I think... Holy Fun had arrows out for like like 18 months before Death Bells came out or something like that. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Like it's almost like you just start the 
the campaign for a new album really early. Mm-hmm. So I think you can expect to see that uh, a single maybe accompanied with something um, sooner than later, I would say, uh, probably in the next couple months. That's um, good. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to kind of do our best to, to finish everything else up and probably, you know, put it put another single out maybe around the time it starts coming out. But um, to answer your question, you'll see something soon. Excellent. Well, we really look forward to that. Yeah. And Hell yeah. So we're, you're also playing in Zyklops, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all three of us have our own um, kind of other side projects, too. Uh, Camacho's in a band called uh, Windows 1995, and it's they, they dress up in weird costumes, and uh, it's him and a, and a keyboard player, and they... I think they have some sort of like storyline about dolphins and, the, and the, <laughs> I, I don't know. I it's, love it's this insane. band already. <laughs> yeah. One time I said, "Hey, yo, let's uh, let's do a heavy cover of Unsolved Mysteries," and Camacho snapped. He's like, "Windows nineteen ninety five has already done that, man. What are you talking about?" So uh, they, <laughs> they're all over the place. They do some really cool, um, like I don't know, keyboard stuff. I I'm not into that that genre very much, but uh, what they do is really awesome. And then um, Dustin's got a side project called Gnarly Parker, which is kind of fun. Uh, I don't know if they've released anything yet, but it's total math rock stuff with a dude from um, Honey and Salt, which is a great uh, math indie rock band from Austin. Mm. And then, yeah, I play guitar in Zyklops. And Zyklops is um, three guys that used to be in a band called um, Skycrawler. It's total like uh, neurosis type stuff, um, a little, maybe a little kind of grunge noise rock type stuff in there too um it i mean it's it's total post metal as well yeah Um, i heard hints of russian circles pelican torch like like all that great stuff it was really sweet yeah yeah that one's tuned down real low we play in g and that stuff and um those dudes have been around a while in a band called the roller uh weak flesh the devil in the sea a lot of that kind of um texas and louisiana super heavy stuff and so they started a new band um, and just wanted a second guitar player. So I do a lot of that, um, that textural stuff and, and, um, and add some leads and stuff while, while Ryan holds down a lot of the, um, you know, the heavier, lower, lower stuff. But, um, it's a, definitely a fun band. I'm, I'm really excited doing it. It's, um, I don't want to say like more casual, but it's, um, you know, we're, I don't think we're going to be doing much touring or something like that, but I definitely think the songs came out really well. And I'm really excited about it. I like, you know, it's one of those kind of things where I enjoy listening to it and, and playing it so that's it's a fun fun outlet um yeah awesome so any any gigs is there going to be any gigs in the future when things open up or have we not gotten to that stage of planning yet man we are we are so torn you know we we're when we're writing and rehearsing and when we recorded last week we had masks on we were in totally different rooms yeah um you know so i think we're at that stage we are seeing some stuff start to happen here uh we're you know what we're in what june 15th or something right now so yeah i personally feel like it's a little too early um i can't imagine what a show would be like you know it's you, it's almost like you're going to be purposely playing to a lot less people you're going to have to be wearing a mask and i think it's too soon to kind of to try to do that um so we probably will take a little while to 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 start playing live but um, you might see something from us um, that is uh, a safe online version of of playing pretty soon. Um, cool. That I'll tease out a little bit. 
Oh, awesome. excellent. So we'll have In fact, I'll, I'll tease it a little bit more. Um, there's a, a group called Safe House, and they've been doing online streaming of bands for years. We did one, I think, like three years ago or something, maybe longer. Um, and Camacho's kind of um, started getting involved with him um, uh, to, to start bringing bands on, um, kind of like a weekly thing where the people in our scene are, are, are going to start playing shows there and raising money um, for the causes of what's going on right now. And, and I think it's a pretty cool idea because it's safe. You don't have to wear a mask um, and we can play live. So um, look out for, for safe house in Austin. That that's going to be something that comes up soon. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. So what do you do for your job when you're not touring and, and in bands and all that stuff? Yeah, I'm I'm lucky. I kind of have a uh, a desk job, kind of a nine to five. Uh, I work for for uh, a large computer company. I'll say that. Mm. Just total. I'm a I'm a program manager. You know what I mean. So it's total, just kind of white collar, nine to five type um, corporate job. And I'm um, I'm lucky that I have the ability to kind of accrue vacation times, and uh, my boss is supportive of music. I mean. I'd say there's a ton of people that work at the company that I work for that are musicians or ex-musicians. Um, so they, they get it. It wouldn't be the first time someone took off work to go on tour uh, at that company. So um, it's, it's really nice that I, that I have that um, sort of uh, privilege to be able to kind of balance both worlds. Uh, it's not easy, but um, that's kind of that's my approach. That's, it's very difficult because I do the same thing. I work for a major corporation and I do project management slash solution engineering. And, well, I've never, I, none of my bands have ever made it to like the touring stage or any of that where I've had to make that decision. But just, just my own upbringing, I was never really willing to really live the lifestyle. You know what I mean? Like just scrap it and just only do music. I, I'm kind of obsessed with uh, having stability. Because there yeah, was man. a there was a lot of instability earlier, so yeah. I'm, that's one thing I'm just always like you know, I I don't want to be like broke or not able to eat or I have to think about my future that that kind of stuff. Totally, man. That's exactly where where I'm coming from too. Um, and you know, like I said, my my um, my dad was a musician, and unless you make it huge, I think he opened for Three Dog Night once and is friends with Clint Black and that sort of stuff, and still, uh, not not a lot of money. In, in it. And I think, um, you know, kind of learned early on that as much as I love music and want to do kind of, you know, what my dad does, that sort of thing. Also kind of learned what, you know, how to, how to, how to not do it that way at the <laughs> yeah. same time. Cause yeah, stability is a, is a huge part of, um, just my, my brain. I need to have that stuff. So I kind of did that first and then said, um, you know, if once I get to that point, how can I make music along the way? And kind of am lucky to find that that balance right now. But I totally know where you're coming from, man. Like that's, and not everyone's like that, you know. Um, I, I was listening to the last episode y'all did, um, or episode thirteen. Um, yeah. What was his name again? Brandon. Cir- yeah. Brandon oh, from Brandon, yes. yeah. Yeah, from uh, Circus Survive and uh, This Day Forward, right? Yes. Yeah. Was did I hear in that that one of you guys toured it with? this day forward or something i did yes in awesome. uh i did a couple tours with them 2002 i was like doing merch and- awesome badass yeah. um i think i heard in that that episode that he had said 
or maybe if he was saying about him or someone else, but that you kind of just always done what you're, maybe it was even you that said this, that someone, someone was saying that you just kind of always do what you think you're supposed to do. Yes. You know? Yes. And that he was saying he got to where he got by taking chances. And I think I kind of played it a little more conservatively because I wanted to make sure I was going to be able to, to eat and stuff like that too. So I played a little more conservative and I, you know, ideally could have um, had a band get, make some success and make some moves and tour a little bit more when I was younger um, if I hadn't done that. But um, I'm also happy kind of the way things, the way things are. Um, I got an awesome wife, you know, and, and we, we bought a house recently and stuff. So that, that sort of stability is really nice and it lets me be able to focus on music instead of having to, to hustle real hard. So, um, I, and everyone's got their own, uh, I mean, you're saying Brandon was living in a car in that episode. Yeah. That's right. fucking badass. I mean, that's, that's one fucking way to get there and look at him now. So everyone's got their own different paths. Um, but I, I think it's really cool to watch us all work together. Absolutely. And that, and when I hear these stories, sometimes I'm like, man, when I was younger, I should have took more risks or said, fuck yeah. a job and like just focused on music more or maybe not focused on getting fucked up for 20 years of my life. And, you know, <laughs> maybe maybe things would have gone different. But but you know what? E- everything led me to here right now. And things are good. Uh, I have a girlfriend now. She's got a kid. So, you nice. know, that's that's a whole separate life. And yeah. then but I at this point. I'm. I just want to fit things I love into what I'm doing. I don't think I could yeah. like join a band and go on tour right now. Not saying it's impossible, but it doesn't look like it's in the cards. But getting to do this with Tommy and getting to yeah. talk to our favorite artists and connect with them and just I don't know. It's it's just awesome. It kind of came up out of the blue, but we're loving it so far. Well, you know, and you guys are you guys are doing an awesome job too. The the one episode I li- I listen to music podcasts all the time. Um, I wish I would have been on the radar sooner. Or that you guys would have been on my radar sooner, which I would have found out early. But I'm only thirteen, what, fourteen, fifteen episodes in, so yeah. you got a you got a yep. subscriber now. I'm really into what you guys do. Oh, that's um, great, sweet. Because you guys also have that the niche and the genre that I'm into. Uh, there's also one y'all can stay at my place. Check that one out. That's a cool podcast that are kind of right. doing similar stuff to you guys. It's um, one of the guys from Rosetta and um, and Constance, I think, and that one's really good too. But I definitely love what you guys are doing. Um, and yeah, it's it's just fun to listen to. It's fun to talk about. Um, I can't, you know, I, I annoy my wife talking about band shit all the time. So it's nice to be able to, to spend some time talking about, I, I can literally see her eyes just roll in the back of her head when I start talking about shit like that. So it's, it's nice to, especially during quarantine. So oh, I yeah. really am stoked to be able to talk to you about this shit. Great. We're, we're glad you came on. It's funny. Cause my girlfriend, I, I don't think she's, she doesn't care about the podcast. <laughs> like, like I'll be like, I'll be like, what you, you didn't listen. We had so-and-so on like, and she's like, eh. It's but it's just not her thing. Like she's she's a stylist in the fashion okay. world, so if she was doing like a stylist podcast, I, I probably wouldn't want to listen to it. Yeah. Well, what if you got the dude from Eighteen Visions to come on? He's a stylist. Oh, yeah. could, like, <laughs> which guy? Merge the world. James or another one of them? Uh, I think the singer. Yeah. Oh shit! We would have him on. Yeah, and then she would listen. You know what? That's a great idea. I'm, are you developing a show for one person? Is that what this yeah. is? <laughs> just just narrowing down the market as we go along. No, I actually I was going to say this with like when you guys were talking about jobs. I think that's one of the things that um, just like continuing with like a, having a career that's stable also allows you to make choices that enable you to pursue what you want when you have the time. 
And I think uh, there's something to be said for people that are prudent about doing things like that, like really taking into consideration, like, look, I want to do this, but I also want to make sure I have the stability that goes along with it that allows me to continue to do it for an extended period of time. Nailed it. That that's exactly kind of where I where I've kind of ended up with with the goal that I have in mind as well. And, and also, I don't want to ever have to make music so that I can make money. Yeah. Um, yeah don't get me wrong. I want to play to a thousand people, whatever, um, and and make it as 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 big as possible. But um, I don't want to have to have to do that. I yeah. want to be able. I want to uh, to to want to do that. Right. Yeah. Plus, quality of life is big for me. Like, I'm I'm touchy with people. I, <laughs> I like a lot of solitary time. And I, I live in New York City. I don't want to move back into a house with like eight dudes. Like, I'm I'm 38 <laughs> years old. Like, I I have you gotta my... walk. You got to walk through Death Heaven plan to get yeah. to your bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not about that anymore. I'm not about that anymore. <laughs> yeah, man, I totally get that that side. It's it's nice to um to be able to to get some stability and also it, I think like you said, just be able to, it frees you up to be more creative sometimes instead of, um, so the other way around. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Corey, it looks like we're, we're winding down here, but, uh, is there, is there anything else we didn't talk about that you want to cover here? Uh, I think I've just some shout outs, I guess, you know, I've, uh, kind of mentioned Michael Mason. He's got Mason guitars. Uh, he just, he plays guitar and cult leader he hooked me up with um, with a really swell handmade guitar, so I recommend that if anyone's into to gear like that. Um, I would say for some local bands to check out, I mentioned Grivo, um, our boys in uh, Exhalance, and uh, and Easy Prey. Both check out both of those, please. Um, I would also kind of throw out uh, Black Ops and Communion. Um, hit up. Check out those bands. Those are uh, that's kind of our crew and uh, portrayal of guilt. Also, yeah, um, homies. Um, so that's kind of our our scene. So definitely check those bands out. Uh, the Michael Michael Mason guitars. If you want to find it on Instagram, it's M S M guitars. M S M guitars. Yep, yep. That's the guy. Uh, and let's see what else. Um, yeah, we'll be look look out for Safe House. We. We'll, Ideally, be doing some um, some live stuff there. We'll have um, a premiere of a new song, hopefully, pretty soon within the next couple months. Um, and yeah, follow us on all the all the socials and stuff. Um, and dude, just thanks for having me on, man. I really enjoyed this. You guys are awesome, and uh, you got a, a new subscriber for sure. I'm a big fan of the pod. There you have it, folks. The Corey Brim interview. That was an awesome one, wasn't it? That was really fun, and uh, they're like one of those bands that just—they're just so unique. They just blend so many different styles. But uh, there's like a couple bands out there that do it for me still. That like when I hear them, like they produce music that still—I hate to be like dramatic about it, but it like makes me feel something. Like they, yes, yeah. They plus they're they're just so nice. You know, like like he shared some of that inside stuff with us and we got to hear a demo of the new track like he felt as excited about it as we did. And that was cool. And that that's our that was our number one record of 2019. I yeah. mean, come on. That's it was awesome stuff. It's so huge because like the other thing with them is like they uh, it, like they have such a huge sound. I actually listened to Sleeper again last night 
and yeah. it, it was like so like the 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 song is how I think it's seven minutes or something like that, and it's just this it's a fucking roller coaster, man. Like this whole thing is just great. And one of the bands that he uh, mentioned in there, um, uh, the, I, th- I believe they're the band that they were going to tour with in France. Yeah. Um, they're, so I'll spell it again. It's I-N-G-R-I-N-A. It looks like Ingrina or Ingrina. Yeah. There's a song that they have called Stolidity. So fucking heavy it's so good it's atmospheric it's dark it's fucking just punishing their shit is really good i really want to listen to them based on his description and it was funny i was talking to my girlfriend uh last night i think and she's like oh if everything really goes to shit in this country do you want to move like to another country i was like yeah we were just talking to this dude Corey, and he said there's a very good post scene over there so like let's move there and then uh, I can, like, maybe get into a band. She's like, all right. <laughs> See how it's all working out. I was going to say, so how's your French, though? <laughs> Awful. <laughs> what, is, yeah, I, what language I, did you take in high school? Uh, Latin. Yeah, me too. I took Latin, big, I took Latin and French. <laughs> big fucking waste of time. I like, je m'appelle Michel Doherty, and I'm fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> I can say we. Oui. Yeah, like it's mm-hmm. so it's it's one of those things that I just didn't understand it when we were taking it anyway. But I always but, thought uh, about. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go off on a tangent just yet. But mm. Corey, Corey, I like that we got into some technical stuff too because we haven't really done that it's, on this sh- on this show yet. Yeah, talking about tunings and and th- making sure that we understand like the musicality of it is something that you you both both of us are completely remiss in like we don't we don't we we don't understand it like (laughs) i i really want to try different tunings because i've only been playing in drop d or sometimes standard or like b standard i think too but um, i gotta try out the dad gad it it sounds like a good one it's it's really nice for doing things like i we were talking like after the show really quickly i think one of the things that i i tried to learn that the sad waltzes of pietro crespi that owen track and yeah. I tuned to it and started looking at a tab, and I just started playing around with it. And it, I, I forget what capo the, the, it, it involves a capo to play that song correctly. So I think I put it on the fifth fret, and I just started like messing around, and I never ended up learning the song because I was just so infatuated with like the different sounds you could get out of it. It's really yeah. fun. I always sit down to learn a song, and I make it about ten percent in. And then I don't do it. Like, I, I was learning that whole piano intro to Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Oh, yeah, the yeah, Smashing, yeah, The Smashing Pumpkins double album. I got, like, uh, five seconds into the song, and then, I, <laughs> and then I lost. Like, I just didn't keep up with it. You have to hit so many keys at once. Yo, I, I've actually... So, this is the only... I've done it twice with songs, and they're the, the only two piano songs I can play. I can play the piano break from um Derek and the Domino's Layla because I got obsessed with it from uh the you know like the towards the end of Goodfellas when they start killing everybody and yeah. they do that sequence of like how he kills Frenchie and Joey Carbone and all those people I just yeah. was like I I need to learn how to play that and I fucking took like 3 days and really sat down I could still play it to this day like I know most of it for like a, like I know the first minute and a half of it all the way through um, and and I learned uh, uh, Queen, uh, 
Bohemian Rhapsody, I know the beginning part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like two dun, keys. Dun, ding, ding. Like it's the only part I could play. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant just dun, 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 oh, dun. Oh, no. So I, I'm thinking of like, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong Queen song. Hold up. I, it's the one where I, I'm pretty sure it's the, it, it's the beginning of that. It's that real slow. Mama, I just cute That part. Yeah, like that's, that, it, there's a lot of different parts to that, that song. That's it's the like part. five different songs. I can play that part. Okay. So, yo, doing this podcast is crazy. Like, uh, yeah. get this. I'm in, I'm in situations a lot where I'm speaking in front of people or I'm hearing people speak and that type of thing. So now I'm enunciating like I am now to make sure I don't say um or uh or do anything like that. And like I get so anxious about editing this thing and making it all, you know, flow and sound nice. Yeah. That like when I hear people talking, and stopping and saying um and uh or like clearing their throat like in my head as they're talking i'm like cut that cut that gotta move this together like it's like a real time like audio chopping session in my head while someone's talking it's fucking nuts yeah i actually notice it now like when i hear people especially in like meetings and stuff like that i'll hear people um have like verbal crutches they use like things they consistently go back to and i i actually picked up on one that i say fairly often I start out when I go to explain something, I start out with here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't I I can't stop my I I I know I'm about to say it and I still say it anyway. I'm like yeah. I just can't think of anything better to say. I mean, it's better than like saying like like I just did yeah. or uh, um or you know, it's a, it's a good kickoff. Here's the thing. It's very affirming. It's also it also comes off with like this authority. Like I I know yeah. what I'm talking about. It's like no, it's you don't know anything. Dummy. <laughs> like, shut up, stupid. <laughs> you know it's this is actually uh, a complete aside, but it's like one thing we I've had to keep correcting the girls. Um, they we watched an episode of The Simpsons the other day because they've been like obsessed with like I want to watch the shows that Daddy watches, and they can't watch ninety percent of what I watch. However, yes, um, I found a couple episodes of The Simpsons where I'm like, this is like mildly appropriate, and the stuff that's inappropriate goes way over their head, so they can't get it anyway. But uh, the episode of The Simpsons where uh, it's called Burns's Heir, it's the one where Bart becomes uh, Mr. Burns's heir, and there's an audition process that goes through it, and. Yeah. The, during the audition, Homer writes the cards for uh, Bart to read, and in the middle of the speech, he says, thank you, Mr. Burns. And from the side of the stage, uh, Homer shouts, it's Kearns, you idiot. <laughs> so consistently in my house, the girls have been saying, like, when somebody says something, they'll just go, it's Kearns, you idiot. <laughs> so, they mean trying to get them to stop saying it (laughs) oh that's so good i think it's probably a losing battle at this point just let it go that's too hilarious it is too funny it's like when they first like when they first say their swear word like a first swear word by accident you're just like you know what that's adorable i'm just gonna let it slide you ever hear of misophonia no it's it's this thing where you're like very sensitive to certain sounds i think i have that what sounds do you hate uh throat clearing Coughing, sneezing, uh, when someone like yawns really loud, uh, that's annoying. Uh, how about metal, chewing, me, chewing. Oh God, metal scraping. Oh, so um, Kelly like has, Kelly yeah. will Kelly will flip out. I used to do it when we were younger, like, and we first started dating. 
um, if I had change in my pocket, I would take like two of the coins together, like in between my index finger and my thumb, and I would just rub them together. And it literally, it's like nails on a chalkboard for her. You can watch her physically have a reaction to it. Like she gets goosebumps. She's like, stop doing that. Yeah. And like if we're recording and I hear someone like open a bottle or like anything going on, I feel like this hot feeling rising up my neck and I'm like, no, dude, chill. It's okay. We can, we can take care of it later. Like, <laughs> So if that's a real, well, it is a real thing, but I, I think I have it. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. it's just, it's definitely one, like, there's, I actually, uh, I wrote this down the other day. I don't think I meant, did I mention this? I might have mentioned it before, but I can tell how mad I am or how aggravated I am during the day because I, I get really, if someone sneezes, I don't have an issue. If someone sneezes, like, three or four times in a row, there's a part where after they, like, all right, bless you. God bless you. What the fuck are you doing? Like, I, I, like it's an immediate like I want to I have this rage that just builds and it's like as they keep sneezing, I fucking lose my temper. And I notice yeah. that like if I'm in a great mood, it'll take like five. The people could sneeze five times in a row and I have no reaction. But the other night I was in a bad mood about. So, oh, I had a bunch of stuff due um, for the job I have where I'm like writing um, assessments for this charter school. And I'm like writing these tests and I'm just frustrated. I'm like trying my best to like make sure that the standards are correct. And I'm like looking for questions. I'm rewriting questions. And we got in bed and my wife sneezed like twice in a row. This is an involuntary action. She's not doing it on purpose. Calm the fuck down. But I can't. Like I, there's just part of my brain that just – it's just seething. I'm like, oh my god. I'm going to freak out. <laughs> I think that's a common one because uh, I'm you know, I'm in an, working in an office sometimes and I've noticed that when people say bless you, it's more like a, a secret fuck you. Yeah. Because you know? they'll be like – someone will sneeze and they'll be like, bless you. And yeah. it's like – that's like their way of saying like, yo, get your fucking shit together. Yeah, bring it – yeah, get take it down a notch, dum-dum. Stop. There was a tweet sometimes uh, – some I don't remember who tweeted it, but they were like, sneeze one, bless you, sneeze two, bless you, sneeze three, get away from me until whatever it is you're doing stops. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the perfect description. Of yeah. No, it's just – and I actually – so I used to remember like taking like um, – the bus with Anthony to school. And I remember that's what Anthony used to do it. Like all the time when someone would sneeze, he'd be like, bless you. And they would sneeze again. He would, he would just start yelling things like you're ruining it for everyone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's the immediate reaction of every single person on the bus just looks at him like, what the fuck is your problem? <laughs> like, are you okay? <laughs> so Tommy, yeah. What's up with you? Like how, how, <laughs> <laughs> no, roll with me on this. Like, okay. What? Now I know a lot about your job. Yeah. And I know I know a lot about what goes on in your house. But like, do you get depressed? Do you get? I know. Well, you. I know you get angry. But do you oh get depressed? God. Do you get anxious? Like, what do you worry about? What's? What, give me, give me some of your your mindset during these times. Um, I don't know. Okay, so like during these times, I I think. My biggest thing is like I'm trying to make sure like everything's okay in my house. Like, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's just fixing things or like making sure like we're maintaining the house the correct way or, you know, I'm fixing the air conditioner if it's broken, like that kind of stuff. Um, but there's also like a real part of my brain that's like um, my since my daughters haven't been in school for three months, uh, 
and I don't know how to put this. So I feel like they're falling behind. Like they, they felt like they, every time they got report cards, they were like, they're like so far ahead. They're doing great. They're doing great. And then this last report card just came out and it was like, yeah, they're doing all right. And I'm like, yeah, because they've been just doing the work that's assigned to them online. And the work online has to be at like, kind of like the medium to like low level because every kid has to be able to do it basically independently so uh my wife and i have been kind of uh as the girls are transitioning out of school now and into the summertime just making time during the day to kind of push them a little bit harder with stuff the other thing is having uncomfortable conversations with them about kind of like what's going on in the world they have a they have a lot of questions uh the nice thing is is we listen to we watch that um they had that thing on CNN. Uh, the Sesame Street thing. Precisely. So we yeah. watch that. Um, and they have lots of questions about like – I mean a lot of their questions center around uh, just death in general. They don't they, – they're, they're, they're still at that age where they can't kind of wrap their head around that death is forever. Um, so like they, they have little experiences with that. Like we had a goldfish that died. Um, like, but they haven't had any like major traumatic things in their lives happen. And I feel like this is a good time to have these conversations where like to kind of get them mentally prepped to be like, okay, so this is sometimes life is scary. Sometimes life can make you anxious. But I think, um, mindset wise for me, I've always been in this, some people, you can take it for whatever it is, but I've always been very much of the uh, – there's like a whole philosophy I learned about in high school called stoicism. And like mm-hmm. the whole thing about stoicism is accepting that death is an inevitability. Um, you can't do anything to change that and you should really be – you know, I hate to be like corny about it, but like you know, like people say live your best life. Like you should be doing right now exactly what you want to do. You should be preparing. You should be working hard. And I think the biggest thing is is that – Um, I try always to explain it to like my students, especially like the obstacle is the way to go. Like, don't do the easy shit in life. Like the way to get yourself better, smarter, stronger, faster, um, more equipped to deal with reality is to fucking put yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. And if anything has shown us that in the last, you know, month or so with all like a protest going on and things is that. This is a lot of people having uncomfortable conversations or being put in situations where they feel like this is uncomfortable for me. Uh, and I, lo- I, I, I love that. I love that cringy, this makes me feel weird kind of moments because, well, it makes you feel alive. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, uh, you really feel growth. When you put yourself in shitty situations or things where you just go – okay, uh, that didn't feel good or I didn't like the way that felt or I didn't like the way I reacted to that and you can look back on it and growth can come from that. I think that's a huge, huge part for me. Like, and That's um, what they say in uh, Call of Duty. Sometimes when you win a round, they're like, who dares wins? <laughs> like they're fucking uh, Path of Resistance CD. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's like fucking... I used to have that one. But... um. Yeah, I think that's another thing is um, I also uh, – well, you and I have talked about this at length, but I don't think I, we've really touched on it on the, in, in the podcast. But uh, both of us grew up going to Catholic school. Um, yeah. 
actually we were talking about that on the last like with uh, with Corey. Um, yeah. I didn't feel like it was my point to jump in and be like, oh, it's a Catholic school too. Like, you know, <laughs> um, uh, but I went to not only I went to Catholic grade school, I went to an all boys Catholic high school and I went to a Catholic college. So um, I, I feel like that amount of exposure to religion has kind of pretty much soured me on it uh, yes. for for a various number of reasons. But um uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Like when my daughters were born, they were twins, um, and my mother is very my mother's like devoutly religious, like prays the rosary and all that kind of stuff, right? She goes to church every Sunday. She's a you know, she donates a lot of money to the church. She's like she's a big uh, she's the, what my people used to call charismatic Catholic. Like they're like out, like outlandish with it sometimes. However. Um, I feel like um, that amount of exposure to it has kind of gotten me to the point where I just go, I don't see the benefit in this. And I feel yeah. like um, the closer and closer I get to uh, like being older, uh, like my father passed away when he was 41. Um, if I look at myself on that same timeline, I have three years left. So wow. um, that's a scary thought, but it's also – very liberating. Like you can feel like, okay, well, if I only have this amount of time left, don't be scared of shit. Try and things. And do you do you feel that? Do you feel that you only have three years left? I there is a part of me that does feel like there is some type of weird ticking time bomb inside me that I'm gonna get. Uh, I and I th- that I will get bad news someday, and I, I'm I'm not sure that that's. Um, a healthy way to go about it. But I think one of the things, and this is, uh, there's a, I don't remember who it was. It might've been a Ted talk or something I had listened to, but, um, the, the speaker was talking about something and they said, you know, essentially, uh, we all know that the comfortable life that we have right now will end. Like you're going to get a phone call and you're going to pick it up and either you're going to get news that, Either you're really sick or someone you love is really sick. Um, and the, the true horror of all of that is, is that we fucking convince ourselves that it's not going to happen. Well, here's the thing. It's already happened to me a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like I did all my bad stuff, so I want to be done. Okay. I don't want any, I don't want any more bad stuff. I, I think that's a good way to think about it. I, I actually I, I think about especially when I, when I think about what I do for a living and, and the work I, I, I haven't chosen to engage in is like, I feel like I'm doing good. And I feel like that definitely puts me in a position that my mental health has always been like, regardless of what's happening in my personal life, my, one of my things that keeps me going, especially when I'm not in a great mood or I am depressed or I don't feel great. Um, is that I know I need to be there for my kids, uh, for yeah. my, my own my own children and 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 my my kids at school, um, and I think that's, yeah. So you have like a ton of kids. I have yeah. I mean every year I have ninety new 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 siblings or children at the. <laughs> so f- for you, it sounds like you don't get too hung up on like depression or anxiety or anything like that. You're it's family focused. Yeah, it's I, child focused. It's like. I just got to do what I got to do. Yeah, and I th- I think a lot of that um I don't know. I guess one of the things that comes to mind is like I consistently think about like um 
Did you ever watch that show, Rick and Morty? Uh, no. Uh, so, no. Th- 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 but make that- this quick because I don't. I don't want to talk about that show, and then we yeah. have to talk about me, which is very important. But there's there's a really 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 cool part in that story where he uh, essentially. It, it, Rick is exp- – or I'm sorry, uh, Morty's explaining to Summer, the, his, his older sister, Rick's philosophy on life. And he essentially says that nothing matters, nobody cares about you, and that this will all abruptly end. So taking that into consideration when you do anything is that like you might as well be okay with it. Like accepting that that fate is going to be whatever it's going to be. Just live in that moment and, and try to appreciate what you have when you have it. Because again, you know that that phone call is coming. In addition to the normal anxieties of life, um, I have a ton of anxiety. Like with even going outside and communicating with people and all that stuff. So being isolated is good. But it's also going to be tough because I'm going to have to like reacclimate to life on the outside. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. Like getting used to hanging out with people and going to dinners and like all that stuff. Being social and, again, yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to have to ease back into that, and I just get I get super anxious before most things. You know, before we do this thing, uh, before I go to sleep. Uh, I don't know, lots of stuff. So there's that, and then just with everything going on, you know, you like. You know, in in the wake of George Floyd and all the other stuff that's happened, it's just like, you wonder, like, am I doing enough? Uh, what can I do? What else can I do? All that kind of stuff. Like, so there's those considerations. And then, oh, yeah, plus, like, I'm I'm like, I've only really started growing up in the last three years. So, like, you know, learning how to live like a normal person and be an adult and I've got a girlfriend now who has a kid, and so I worry about money a lot. Yeah. Like our our combined rent is like close to ten thousand dollars a month. We live in fucking Manhattan shit. and Brooklyn. Holy yeah. shit! Oh my god! So, and and just you know, getting a kid into school in Manhattan yeah. is insane. Yeah, it's insane. I, I I see my girlfriend going through the process, and I'm helping her where I can. But it's just it's a fucking crazy place to raise kids. I can I can relate to you with anxiety with certain things. I think one of the things that I get to is uh, I get inside my own head with um, if I get observed for teaching at my school, I get observed like two to three times a week. I, I do get anxious about that because I want everything to go not perfect. I know that's an impossibility, but I know like I want it to be as a, a good representation of what it's like to be in my classroom. And I yes. feel like sometimes when the, they walk out, I'm like, fuck that didn't go well and it's like i beat myself up for it for the next 24 hours until i get to go meet with that person and talk about what happened and 99 percent of the time they're like oh yeah no that, i didn't even really notice that i'm like really <laughs> that was all i could focus on was you know the one kid that wasn't doing work or the the wrong answer that i the kid gave or like you know just the, the misbehavior that i didn't address or something like that and i just i i, I do get anxious with that i was actually thinking about this with a lot of people that have anxiety, their their go-to route is they're going to go ahead and get like out of in or something like that. However, with you, not an option. Not an option. Yeah. yeah. I, I tried a different non-narcotic medication um, a couple years ago, but it it just made me tired. Okay. And I, I just, I'm tired enough as it is every day. I don't, I don't need like extra things to make me tired. Uh, I know it works for some people, but it, it, I really 
I just don't need it. Yeah. You know, I I have a, I have other ways to uh, to uh, cope with that. So I'm I'm gonna shift now. Cool. Now we we got the we got those a life once lost and this day forward videos from Palanca Park. Yeah. And I, I I forget if I thanked them already, but I wanted to thank Ed Hewitt and Andrew Modi yeah. for getting us those videos because that was fucking awesome. And you know, it was just it's just more evidence of why cops fucking suck. You know, because the fucking Ben Sound police coming in and like acting like tough guys and yanking people off the stage. And and Bob said that, like, they tried to steal the money. money. Yeah. 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 And listen, if if your family is in the Ben Sound police, I'm not sorry. Fuck them. You know, like (laughs) they were assholes. And it's it's just more examples of uh, of what's not right. Yeah. And the guy in the video that's like the biggest dick is like actually like in charge of uh, I think he's the head of emergency responses now. Oh, great. Yeah. He's like he's like the he's like the supervisor of everybody now. (laughs) So he's he has even more power than he had before. (laughs) So I'm I'm sure that's going swimmingly. So thanks, Ed and Andrew, for getting us that tape. Oh, and by the time this airs, we will have posted the last This Day Forward set as well. Oh, and yeah. that that also came from Ed and Andrew. So thank you guys for well, that. Where did that take place? I don't. I don't. I wasn't at that. I don't think. First Unitarian Church. Yeah, I wasn't at that. Yeah. And check this out. We got a new review. Ooh. Okay. You ready? You yeah, ready go. for this? Go. Five stars from another new phone. I found you guys while searching for random a life once lost stuff on YouTube, and I'm glad I did. I never made it to a KFN show, and regret never seeing those dudes live. I'm really excited to hear Bob talking about potential live shows and would pay good money for a Mind Power live show. So, Bob, if you're listening, uh, this gentleman or woman or person uh, is looking for a Life Once Lost and Mind Power shows, and uh, many, many of us are. So oh, yeah. let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... thank you. Thank you for the nice review and the nice rating. And, um, well... Yeah, it looks like it's it's wine downtime. Is there anything else you want to cover shortly, Tommy? Shortly? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I that was it. I, I just really I I love looking. At, Keith and I go back and forth a lot through text, and I I just love looking at the page and I see sometimes like the comment threads of people yes. building along with like hey, and then they tag three people like hey, do you remember this? And then the, those people chime in. It's like it's really fun to see that kind of stuff. Um, and it's just it's nice actually um so it was ed hewitt and what was the other gentleman's name that gave us the tape andrew amodi so andrew amodi had a beautifully written comment about um the this day forward show and I, i'll actually hold on let me just pull it up because he said it so succinctly and i was like that is just a a great encapsulation of he here, let me just get it up. Yeah, it was no, pull that up. So really, it was so well said. It and is really good. Yeah. Here, it's this one. Seeing myself as a 13-year-old kid with my hands on the, my favorite singer at the time, screaming lyrics into his mic gave me chills. Times have changed, and it's awesome that this is still floating around now. This is a piece of our history. This is our culture that I grew up in, and it's now a part of who I am today. And it, it really does. It's a great encapsulation of that's that's why we're here. Like that's yes. why we do this. It's just we think of those times as like not perfect. We're not we're not dumb. We know that there was you know some things that were not happening. But we really, I look back on those times so fondly because they were really 
they were just so much fun and it has shaped me in a way that a lot of my 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 thinking about crowds social aspects uh Mon- like the way to deal with people that are, can sometimes be aggressive or egomaniacal, like everything that I do, I can somehow trace even a little bit, bit of it back to going to shows and being being involved in hardcore. Yeah, it, it was a, a great summation. And that's why we do this, to talk to bands that we love, older bands, newer bands, it doesn't matter. Oh, and, and I just want to clarify one thing. This podcast is not just for hardcore. It yeah. has been hardcore focused, but we want to touch everything under the satellite, post-hardcore, post-rock, emo, hardcore, metal, whatever. Anything under the umbrella, we, we want to reach out, and we're going to be venturing out of the Northeast well, well, we ventured out of the Northeast yeah, for this could. episode and uh, a couple more that are coming up. So it's going to be worldwide, baby. Yeah, for worldwide. Sure. I also yeah, want, so I, I want OT The Real on here, too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> OT The Real, if you somehow hear this, we want you on the show. But I'm not going to ask you yet because yeah. I want us to get a little bigger first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. It's The N-E Scene. And write us reviews and rate us on Apple Podcasts because apparently that helps us somehow. I've I've heard people say that, and I hope it's true. And, uh, yeah, like, subscribe, recommend us to a friend, share us with people, and keep listening. So thank you, everybody. We really love you all, and uh, we are really appreciative of your continued support. And thank you. Until next time. Yeah, Be kind to one another. Yes, please. We could use a little bit of that right now. See you next time, everybody.